This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'd like for you to take God's word and go with me into the New Testament, to the gospel according to Mark, to the 10th chapter and verse number 17. Mark chapter number 10 and verse number 17. I've enjoyed so much the opportunity to bring these messages from the gospel according to Mark. They've been a great blessing to me in my preparation and uh, as they reveal to us the person of the Son of God, and I'm praying that God would work in the hearts of those who do not know him to bring him to himself. And I pray that God would work in the hearts of our church family, that we might know him in a wonderful, more intimate way. Mark chapter number 10 and verse number 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, and go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold. Now in this time... 
houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. And in the world to come, eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. I want to call your attention uh, to the comment that the Lord Jesus Christ makes in verse number 21 when he speaks to the man. He says, one thing thou lackest. I want to speak to you on the subject this morning, one thing lacking. One thing lacking. Uh, here came a young man. We find him called a ruler in other gospel records. We understand that he is a ruler of the synagogue. And he is uh, commonly known to us as the rich young ruler. That is the name by uh, which uh, many uh, Bible teachers and Bible students would know who this young man is. He is commonly known as the rich young ruler, a ruler of the synagogue. And as such, he would have been a young man uh, who, of course, being young, that would be an ab abnormal situation. So we find that this man, uh, this young man, must have been a man of high character, uh, we understand he was a man of authority. He, he, he had great morality. He had authority that was unusually given to a, a young man. And he had great possessions. And so here he comes uh, to speak to the Lord, and the Lord Jesus Christ tells him in verse 21 that he is lacking one thing. He says to him, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and take up the cross and follow me. Now, I want to I be very clear this morning to help you understand that there are many who would take this passage and attempt to, tr to, to teach a Marxist, socialist, communist doctrine. That if you want to get to heaven, then here's what you've got to do. You've got to go sell everything you have and you just give it to the poor. And while the Lord Jesus instructs this young man to do that, we need to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ is not giving a general principle of salvation. He is speaking specifically to a young man who was trusting, as the Lord said later, in his riches, trusting in his position, trusting in his goodness, but as we're going to find out, he was not willing, at least at that point in his life, to trust in Jesus. And so the Lord says to him, one thing thou lackest. Now, I want you to see four things in this passage. Number one, we'll look at the man's request. And then secondly, we'll look at the Lord's response. Then we'll note the man's regret. And then if we have time, we'll see the disciples' reward. I want us to look first of all this morning at the man's request, the man's request. And when he was gone forth, verse number 17, when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Defraud not, 
honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Now, this young man had a great question, did he not? I, I think it is a question that uh, he should be commended concerning the, the fact that he was willing to ask this question, that he was willing to consider this question, because I find that there are many people that I speak to on, a, on, a, on, on almost a daily basis. There are many people that I encounter throughout the course of my life who are very unwilling to even ask themselves this question, what must I do to have eternal life? I think of the Philippian jailer who said to Paul uh, at midnight, Paul and Silas, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Isn't that a wonderful question? Would you like to know the answer? Well, Paul said it very clearly, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Now, here we find that this young man comes to Jesus He's concerned about his condition, but we're going to find that he will leave unwilling to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to see some things about this young man. First of all, he came expediently. The Bible says there came one running. This was a serious inquiry. This was a serious concern. Here comes a young man, a ruler of the synagogue, a respected man, a man who is wealthy, and he understands that though he has all of the things going for him in life, he has all these things going for him, there's still something missing in his life. And so he finds that Jesus could possibly be the one who gives him the answer. No doubt he's heard of the miracles. No doubt he has heard of his authority. And so when he has the opportunity, he comes running to Jesus. I wonder how many of us take him that serious. How many of us desire to hear from him that we would be willing to come running? We, we have such a hard time sometimes just making it out of bed and getting to church. But here's a young man who is coming, and he is coming with all of his energy. He is coming with all urgency to the Lord Jesus Christ. When you recognize the need of your life, I will tell you that you will come to Jesus expediently. We find that he came reverently. The Bible says that he kneeled to him. Here's a young man, though he had power, though he had possessions, he was a, a humble young man, and he came reverently, and he kneeled. And then he said to the Lord Jesus, he called him good master. And he asked the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I think he came sincerely. I think he really wanted to know the answer. He knew that he had a need, and he felt as if Jesus could give him the answer. And so he asked a very sincere question, one that we must all confront ourselves with, one that we need to confront a lost world with. Uh, do you know the Lord Jesus? Do you have everlasting life? And then I want you to see that he came honestly. Notice the response of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says to him in verse 19, Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Now we do not find that the Lord Jesus Christ reproves him or rebukes him for that answer. 
We find that the Lord Jesus Christ accepts that answer. And by the way, the Lord Jesus Christ knew uh, this young man. He knew his condition. He knew whether or not this young man was answering truthfully. And we find that here he is giving a very honest answer. Well, I've been trying to keep these commandments. In fact, I believe I've kept them, he said. I've been observing them. I've been doing this my whole life. I've been, I've been going to church. I've been going to the synagogue. I've been reading my Bible. I, I've been trying to be a good fella. I've been trying to be a good lady. I've been trying to be a good person. I've been doing that all my life. And so he came honestly, the man's request. And I think it's interesting to know that although he had the status, he had the bank account, he had the integrity, he had uh, sincerity in his heart that he wanted to inherit eternal life, he knew there was something missing in his life. And so he gives this request. I want you to notice the second thing. Not only the man's request, but I want you to see the Lord's response. The Lord's response. How would the Lord Jesus Christ deal with this young man? Because I I can imagine the disciples are watching, and here he comes, this rich young ruler. And perhaps by his garments and and, uh, that he wore, uh, perhaps they had known him earlier, Uh, throughout their travels throughout Galilee and into Jerusalem, and they had encountered this young ruler. Perhaps they'd heard of him, and what a fine, upstanding young man he is, leading the synagogue at his youthful age, and uh, what kind of a, a wonderful moral guy he was. And now here he comes. He is the ideal candidate to get into the group of disciples, isn't he? He's the guy you want. So the Lord Jesus says to him, and notice it again in verse 18, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. And then I, I want you to note, if you would please, in verse 21, then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. Now the Lord says, you need to understand, there's one thing that you lack. You come to me with your credentials, you come to me with your integrity, but there is one thing that you are lacking. Now I want you to know what he did not lack. I want you to know what he did not lack. He did not lack, as I mentioned earlier, an awareness of his need. He did not lack, secondarily, the appearance of his righteousness. Outwardly, everything looked good. He was sincere. He said, I've been keeping these commandments since my youth. There was no reproof or rebuke from the Lord. But I do want you to notice what he did lack. What he did lack. He did lack the acknowledgement of the identity of Jesus. He did lack the acknowledgement of the identity of Jesus. He came to him in verse number 18, and what did he call him? He called him a good master. 
That is the term he gave him in verse 17, good master. Now, the word master means teacher. And what he's saying here is you are a good teacher. You are someone in authority. You are someone with influence. You teach us good things. You are a good teacher. And the Lord gives what we might think initially as a very unusual response. And I want you to notice it again in verse number 18. Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. In other words, here is where this young man is. In his uh, identification of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, he refers to him simply as a good teacher. He fails to acknowledge that he is the Son of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ confronts him with this by saying to him, wait a minute, why would you call me good? The Bible clearly teaches that there is none good. If I'm simply a teacher, if I'm simply uh, someone who has come here to live uh, and give you an example, if that is all I am, why would you ever call me good? Because there is none good, no, not one. The only one who is good is God. Therefore, you must be confronted with my identity. I'm not a man. I'm not simply just a good teacher. I am the son of God. The Bible tells us in the book of Philippians, he considered it not robbery to be equal with God. He is God. And he is making that statement very clearly here because this young man has come to him looking for instruction, looking for some example, looking for a little bit of light along the path, but he has not come to bow the knee in reverence and acknowledgement of his deity to cast his whole life and his eternal condition, his eternal state, and the burden of his sin on Jesus. He's not come to do that. And so the Lord confronts him with his identity. We live in a world that will talk about Jesus, the Jesus of their own definition. And they will talk about the good things he did and the teaching that he ascribed to. But they will not acknowledge his person, that he is the Son of God. The second thing that this young man lacked not only was the acknowledgement of the identity of the Lord Jesus as the Son of God, but he lacked the acknowledgement of his own sinfulness. He knew he was missing something. You know, there was an emptiness inside of him. You know, the Bible tells us that the creature in Romans chapter 8 was made subject to vanity. Do you know that God made us that way? He made us that way because we can only be content with him. We can only find joy and peace and fulfillment and rest in our soul, as we sang earlier, it is well with my soul. We will only find it well with our soul when we know God. Absent of him, there is no contentment. There is no rest. There is no peace. And this young man had trouble in his soul. 
And though he tried to maintain an outward form of religion, and though he tried to do as much as he thought possible to do to, to express his, his, his respect for God, he was not willing to acknowledge his own sinfulness. He was trusting in his own righteousness to get him to heaven. He thought, I've been a pretty good fella. I do well. I give to the synagogue. I'm the ruler of the synagogue. I'm in charge of the thing. I make sure it goes. If we don't get enough money in the offering plate, I'm the guy who puts it in. This is him. I try to help out poor people in the community. I'm a pretty good fella. I try to keep the law and the commandments. I, I'm a moral guy. Don't you understand? There's nothing utterly sinful about me, but... Mm. There's something in my heart that's screaming out and crying out that it isn't well with my soul. And so he lacked the acknowledgement of his own sinfulness. Charles Spurgeon said he had a self-righteous head, but he had a seeking heart. His, his head made him think that he had kept the law. That was his answer to the Lord. All these have I observed. But his heart told him that he had not. And for he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Which he would not have said if he believed that he had religion enough to inherit it. He knew something was missing. Not only do we see that, but we see that he lacked the willingness to give up the idolatry of his heart. He lacked the willingness to give up the idolatry of his heart. There's his sin. There's his sin. The Bible says in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me. The Bible says thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Here is one who had another God before Jesus. And the Lord Jesus, with pinpoint precision, puts his finger right on the heart of the issue. And let me tell you, when you come to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, the Son of God will with pinpoint precision put his finger on the need in your life. And so he does. Look at it, if you would, please. In verse 21, one thing thou lackest. Yeah, you got a pretty good record, son. You're right. I mean, you've tried to keep these commandments and you're a man of integrity. You're a man of sincerity. You're a man of honesty. But there's one thing you're missing, and here it is. Notice what he says to him. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give it to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. Note these words of action. Go. Sell. Give. Have. Come. Take. Follow. These were tough words to hear for this young man. Spurgeon, again, commenting on this passage, says this is not a command which he gives to all men. 
but he gave that particular command to that particular young man according to his particular circumstances. He saw that he was not the man that could endure to be poor. He saw, too, that he made riches his idol. He was a gentleman. He was a man of great possessions. He does not seem to have been a cheapskate. He could hardly have been a ruler of a synagogue, one would think, if he had been. But still, he had a great liking for position. He had a hold of something. Wealth, power, and he wasn't willing to let it go. He had a hold of something, so he thought, but it had a hold of him. I heard the illustration of these African villagers in there. They, when they want to catch these particular baboons, they will create a trap, a trap that the baboon is able to get his hand inside. And inside the trap, what draws the baboon to put his hand inside the trap is a block of salt because they like salt. And the baboon, once he gets his hand into the hole and he grabs hold of the block of salt, he will not let it go. And therefore, he cannot remove his hand from the trap. Sounds like so many of us, doesn't it? The elusive thing that we want. Some of us have it in our grasp, and we will not let it go. What is it? Well, in this case, it's riches and power. In other cases, it could be a list of sins the Holy Spirit would reveal to us about our own self. What is the thing that keeps us from Jesus. In this young man's life, it's his position. It's his riches. All he can think about is what he has to give up. I've heard a lot of people say, well, I'd have to give up my drinking. I'd have to give up my lifestyle. I'd have to give up my immoral business practices. One of these days, one of these days, I'm going to get in a position where I got everything in line, and when I do, that's when I'll come to Jesus. Oh, no, you won't. You're like that monkey with his hand in the trap and his fist clenched. Maybe it's tradition. Maybe it's the own foolish notions of your life, but you won't let go of them. Would you let go of it today, be free of it, and come to Jesus? And so the Lord says, I'll tell you what, if you love me and acknowledge me for who I am, here's what you in particular need to do. You need to go, sell, give, and then you'll have treasures in heaven. Then here's what you need to do. You need to come to me. You need to follow me. You need to take up the cross and be willing to bear the reproach. That's the Lord's response. Are you willing to come to Jesus? Are you willing to yield yourself to him completely? You see, it's not the riches that the Lord wants. It's the man. 
And when the, the, the Lord has the man, then everything else belongs to God, right? It already belongs to him. The question is, are we willing to submit to him? Are we willing to yield to him? Can I tell you, friend, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, he has purchased you with his own blood. You are redeemed. You belong to him. Paul said, no, you're not, that you've been bought with a price. Jesus Christ owns you lock, stock, and barrel. If you try to hold on to things and keep it away from him, you're going to grieve the Holy Spirit of God, and you're going to grieve what the Lord can do in your life, and you're going to deprive him of the glory that he so richly deserves. He deserves every area of your life. What are you holding on to? What are you holding back today? And are you willing to let it go and give it to God? If you acknowledge him for who he is, not just a good teacher, but the son of God. If you're willing to acknowledge your sin, then you'll be willing to let it go. I want you to see a third thing here, and that's the man's regret. The Bible says in verse 22, and he was sad at that saying, and he went away grieved, for he had great possessions. He came to Jesus and he knew he had a need. And he wanted Jesus to meet that need, and he thought he could. But here's, he did what so many people do. He tries to make a deal with Jesus with strings attached. He wants to bargain with the Lord. I'll acknowledge you. I'll try to do what you tell me but I'm not willing to acknowledge you fully and I'm not willing to fully surrender to you and I'm not willing to give up what I have. I meet so many people like that, don't you? They want to come to God on their terms. And when they find out that the Lord does not allow people to come to them, come to him rather, on their terms, that they must come to him on his terms, then a lot of people do what this young man did. They walk away sorrowful. I cannot tell you the people who have called me and said, Pastor, I really have an urgent need. I'd like to talk to you about it. Could I come in and see you today? And they come into my office, and whether it be about their marriage or whether it be about their children or whether it be about their job or their spiritual life, they come with a pre-written contract. Oh, not literally, but figuratively. And they come and they say, here's my terms. I'm willing to go this far. I'm having a problem here. And, and here's what I'm willing to do. I mean, I acknowledge I got a problem. And I'm willing to go this far. And then they want the pastor to say, God bless you. That's just what you need to do. But the pastor, if he's going to be faithful to God, can't do that, right? And you say, well, forget the pastor. I'll go straight to Jesus. Well, that's where you ought to go. 
And do you know what you're going to hear when you get to him? Go, sell, give, come, take the cross, and follow me. I didn't expect that. You mean he wants me to give up my sin? You mean he wants me to tell my wife I'm sorry? You mean he wants me to ask my parents to forgive me and respect them? But you don't understand, Pastor. But you don't understand, Jesus. You mean he wants me to take that grudge, that that root of bitterness in my heart, and he wants me to cast it on him, and he wants me to seek forgiveness? But you don't understand what I've been through. Oh, yes, he does. And he said, don't worry about it. You don't need it. You don't need the houses. You don't need the lands. You don't need to hold on to the sin. Oh, but I've been wounded. Well, do you want Jesus to heal the wound? I'm convinced that many people do not want Jesus to heal their wound. I don't mean to be gross, but a lot of people can't keep their hands off the scab. They like to pick it, and the wound stays there, and they walk around and say, hey, did you see my wound? Did you see my wound? And everybody they meet, hey, here's my wound. Don't you feel sorry for me? Can I tell you how I got hurt? Wouldn't you like to pity me some more? Wouldn't you like to help me feel better about my situation by convincing me that I'm right to feel this way? Jesus said, no. You need to give that to me. You need to be willing to take up that cross and follow me. Lay aside your position. Lay aside your pride and follow me. And he went away sorrowful. And Jesus said, it's impossible for those who trust in riches or in anything else but Jesus to get to heaven. I don't know what you're trusting in, but you need to let go of it and come to him. The man's regret. And then lastly, disciples' reward. I don't have time to discover this, but let's look at it. Peter said unto him, Lo, we've left all and followed thee. Peter watched that fellow walk away. Peter was thinking about what it cost him to follow Jesus. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels, but he shall receive 
and hundredfold. Here is an investment you cannot afford to miss. 100% rate of return. All you can think about is what you've got to give up to come to me. What you need to understand is what you gain when you do. Here's what you gain. Oh, and by the way, you gain it twice. You gain it in this time, and you gain it in the world to come. He's a good master, isn't he? Well above a good master. He's a great God, isn't he? In this life, what do you get? Well, you get houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands. You know, there are missionaries who have said goodbye to their families, sailed across the oceans and gone into Africa and never see their families again, some of them. And But let me tell you what they get when they make that surrender, when they give that up. Do you know what they get? They get a family on the other side of the ocean. They get houses on the other side of the ocean. They get fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters on the other side of the ocean. And that is an increase. That is a blessing. That is an addition. It's not what they're giving up. It is what they're gaining when they decide to follow Jesus. I'm going to tell you, there's no life like the Christian life. If you'll just follow God, if you'll just be obedient to God, I want to tell you that God has promised to give you a hundredfold. But it gets better. There are persecutions, yes. That's that reproach. That's that suffering. And in the world to come, eternal life. <laughs> I'm thinking about Keith Kaiser's funeral. And Pastor Sexton took that thought. And in the world to come, eternal life. It's a pretty good deal, isn't it? Hey, young man. Hey, sir. Hey, young person. If you'll come to me, give your idols up. Confess who I am. Acknowledge your sinfulness. Take up your cross and follow me. Can I tell you what I'll do for you? I'll bless you in this life, and you'll never die. You'll live in a place where there's no sickness, no pain, no sin, no suffering. You'll never have to say goodbye to a loved one. There'll never be another misunderstanding. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be, and that day will never end for all eternity. One thing thou lackest. I wouldn't want one thing to keep me out of heaven, would you? Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.